All right. Okay. Hello, church family. Uh, welcome to our Logos Bible study. I hope you had an encouraging time with your discipleship groups as you discussed or shared your learnings from your exegesis study. So for tonight, we are going to hear from our, our elder Peter as he teaches from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 10. And this is part one of uh, how to become a good servant of Jesus Christ. Um, we would like to request everyone to turn on your camera as an encouragement and to enable a greater sense of fellowship with one another. And only if you can. So if you are sick or you're laying down or if your camera is not working, um, well, it's 2021. Who? Yeah, I think cameras work this time. <laughs> so I hope uh, uh, you turn it on. But if you can't, that's okay. All right. Um, I would like to remind everyone that this session is being recorded. And uh, we encourage that you uh, please be careful with the mute button. You might accidentally uh, press that red button there. So just be careful. And also, please be responsible in using the chat message. All right. So for our opening, uh, I would like to ask Garrett to um, open us in a word of prayer. Garrett, can you pray for us? Sure, let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the chance to gather uh, this evening. Uh, we're thankful uh, that uh, you've even given us, us the ability to do so online and we're gathered together uh, because we want to worship you uh, through just the study and proclamation of your word. Uh, Lord, um, it's such a blessing to be able to uh, know you as you've revealed yourself through the scriptures. And uh, we pray that as we hear from your word tonight, uh, that you would convict our hearts, um, that you would uh, bring us into conformity, uh, of your son, Jesus Christ, show us uh, where we fail to uh, honor you in our lives and uh, also bring to us uh, just the encouragement that comes from uh, your word. We know that uh, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and it's able to uh, cut to the heart. And we pray that as we hear this that this evening, uh, that it would do its work uh, in our midst and that uh, we would leave uh, change this evening, that we would uh, glorify you in, in every aspect of our lives as we leave from here. Uh, we just thank you and we pray that Christ would be honored and glorified tonight. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Garrett. So before we hear Peter's teaching, uh, we asked two representatives to uh, share what they have learned from their exegesis. So we have two uh, people, uh, one brother and one sister, uh, David Ga from Kevin Al's group and uh, Christine Chung from Andrea's group. So we'll start with David and then uh, Christine. Thanks, JC. Um, I think uh, for my sharing, uh, one, Thing, I, I kind of focused on just the idea of training in godliness and what godliness uh, exactly means. Um, I think, you know, uh, before the exegesis, uh, when I think, you know, like when you describe somebody as like filled with godliness or like they're godly, um, you know, I often think about like character trait, you know, like they're, they're like maybe they have a lot of integrity, they're gentle or they're prayerful or, you know, like in some way or behavior, they're Christ-like. But um, kind of like studying it a little bit closer um, and just looking at kind of at the definition, uh, godliness, uh, it comes from like a Greek noun called eusebeia, which actually means um, reverence, respect, and piety towards God. Um, so, uh, you know, growing in godliness or training in godliness really means kind of having like uh, growing in and training in like having a greater reverence and love and respect for God. So. I thought that was really interesting because um, I think that's just a lot, just so much more uh, God-centered and God-focused because when, when I think of, you know, like godliness as like a like character traits, right. It's um, it's like, you're almost like kind of training to be like almost like a better person uh, um, and which is not wrong in of itself. Uh, 
but it's like you're, oh you would train to you know like be more gentle or you would train to be more loving or something like that but uh when we uh think when i think about godliness as being having respect and reverence towards god it's really kind of training in such a way as to love god more and to know more about god and to focus more of my attention and us uh, uh and uh set my uh sights on god more so i think in that way it's kind of really uh a desire and growing and training to know god to to love god and then allowing uh you know the spirit to grow the fruit of the spirit which is you know like the all the character traits like uh, gentleness uh peace um etc um i thought that was kind of an interesting thing that i i haven't really thought about and it's good to know the definition of godliness oh and uh prayer request uh sorry uh i think a prayer request for me is to uh that uh, i would just work heartily and sincerely at work uh as for the lord not for man um that's something that i've been meditating on in colossians 3. um i think for me uh, a big struggle um lately has just been to compartmentalize my work and to see it as a, something lesser in my life compared to you know family and church relationships and whatnot and I think when that happens, there's this temptation for me to really just to work and perform enough at work to be sufficient for man, uh, to please my manager, and, and then not feeling really motivated to even do more or to work excellently. So um, yeah, I think just pray that I would really see my work as working for the Lord and to work, work excellently for him. Thank you, David. Thanks for sharing. Now we uh, ask Christine to share. Hi, I'm Christine. Um, one of the repeated words that I observed in the passage is the use of the word train. Uh, in verse six, it says trained in the words of faith. Verse seven, train yourself for godliness. Verse eight, bodily training. Um, in looking up the definition of the word train, um, it means to teach a particular skill or type of behavior through practice and instruction over a period of time. Um, Usually when we train for something, we have a particular goal in mind. If we're potty training, it's to use the restroom independently. If we're training for a marathon, it's to survive. Um, often we even do work training to learn to be more e efficient or effective in our workplaces. Um, and when we put in the work, we expect that there will be return in our lives, that we will grow a new skill, learn how to do something better. Um, and I think at least personally looking at the idea of godliness, it's tempting to believe that godliness will just come if all I do is read the word of God. But the reality is um, there is work, there's practice, there's consistency and discipline that also needs to happen uh, as I read and as I learn and as I um, learn to love God more as well. Um, and we do it, uh, we do it meaning we train for godliness um, because of the hope that we have to come, the hope that is in um, our living God. Um, and I think that was very convicting, um, for me as I think about how I train myself and uh, my children for godliness. Um, my prayer request is for the salvation of my two children, Aurora and Annabelle. They're four and a half, oh no, three and a half, almost four and two, almost two. Um, and so we earnestly desire that they would be saved, um, that they would walk with Christ their for the majority of their lives. Thank you, Christine, for sharing. Um, so now we move on to the, te the teaching of God's word. So um, Peter, I'm having it over to you. You might be on mute, Peter. Um, oh, I wasn't even talking yet. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I just unmuted myself. Thank you for reminding me. Hello, everyone. Uh, Good to be here and bring you the word of God uh, for this evening. Um, I will share my screen. All right. Hopefully you guys can see this. Um, great. I am going to go to presentation mode and we'll start with a word of prayer. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, we want to just thank you for this time um, that I get to um, come back to uh, this message that I, I was able to preach to the church and um, you know, just listening to some of the sharing tonight. 
uh, enormously encouraging, Lord, um, because uh, you call us to, to put work and effort um, into working out our salvation, um, but we also know that it's not through our own strength, and so um, it is through your grace, through your mercy. So we're going to work this out tonight, which I will definitely need your help, Lord, into properly teaching this. Um, and I pray, Lord, that um, that the those in the audience could be challenged by the message tonight, and that we could make uh, some real changes, um, repenting from actual incorrect thinking um, that doesn't honor you, those things in our lives that don't honor you. Um, I pray for real change. Um, tonight. So let this be a message that you can use uh, to help us to grow, to be more like Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everyone. Um, I know uh, that I have uh, been given about 30 minutes to give this abridged version of this message, and I will do my best. Um, and so why don't we just jump into the passage, um, and I'm going to uh, read First Timothy chapter four, verse seven to ten. Uh, this we'll just call tonight. The focus is really training in the hope of Christ, and it's going to begin with verse seven of First Timothy chapter four. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths; rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. That is the reading of God's word. When we read this passage, um, it's obviously very clear that, you know, we're being uh, commanded to train um, and to put some work and effort into our Christian faith. Um, something that I want to address, though, that confuses people sometimes is this whole idea about our human effort and where does it play a role in our faith? Um, and that is something the Holy Spirit can work out in our lives. It is a theological uh, kind of a, a um, there's, it's seemingly like two opposite teachings that are working out in our faith as Christians. And I just want to let you know that um, those two ideas about God doing the work in you and you working out your faith are not opposing to each other. It is found in other passages. And I just want to start off by this because it, it, I just, want to, I just want you to see that Paul himself was a, the example, the biblical example of this. And you can find it in many places in scripture. And I just want to start off by reading Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. Um, he says in Philippians 3, 7 to 11, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, passages like this, and there's other parts like this in scripture, is what makes Christianity so, uh, so exciting, because um, there's no denying the fact that God is the one that's going to help you to grow and be a catalyst in your life for spiritual growth. There's no denying that. But at the same time, we see here in Paul's life, a man who gave his 100% in his life for sake of righteousness. And you would think, you know, in, in this world day and age where Christians use every excuse to be lazy with their spiritual life, 
the and they'll say, oh, it's because I want to glorify God. I, I don't want to deny God the glory to work in my life. So I'm going to just give minimum effort and just see what God can do with that. That is not the teaching of scripture. The teaching of scripture is that God works concurrently in his sovereignty and in your efforts. And the caveat is this, that if you've repented in Christ, you have salvation in Christ, then your effort will be a redeemed effort. But if you don't repent and you don't have salvation in Christ, your efforts are meaningless. That's where the line is. And so it always starts with the gospel. It always starts with true faith. It always starts with election. It always starts with God um, coming into your darkness and waking you up, right, spiritually. Once that happens, then we can talk about human effort. Okay, guys? That, that, I just want to make that clear because jumping into a passage like this where we're talking about training for your faith and righteousness, and some of you out there who may not have truly repented from your, faith, uh, from your sins and given your life to Christ, I'm telling you this training is not for you. It won't do anything for salvation. This doesn't add to your salvation is my point because none of your works does. None of our works add to our salvation. So, so with that kind of as an introduction, because I just wanted to talk about that paradox a little bit because we are talking about human effort tonight, but this is a message for believers. And this is a message that really goes against everything mainstream Christianity has become, which is have fun with your life, suffer the least, and work the least amount, and just sort of coast your way to heaven, right? And this is not, this is not the message you're going to be hearing tonight. This is a message where we're going to be told um, to be very deliberate on how you train yourself, and you're going to be giving enormous amount of effort to do this. Um, and I and I just and I just want to emphasize again before we go to these next slides that this is for people who've been saved in Christ. This is for people who've been saved. Your efforts will do nothing if you don't have Christ. Okay, but once you have Christ, there is no greater glory to God than giving your whole life to Him and all your efforts to Him. And the difference of between those two worlds is just astronomical. Okay. So I just want to start with that. Let's start with the gospel because we're training in the hope of Christ, which already implies the fact that you have the hope of Christ. And so there's going to be three sections here. Um, verse seven, you know, we're going to talk about avoiding myths. Uh, we're going to talk about applying scripture and then we're going to talk about anticipating Christ's return and um, avoiding myths. We're going to focus on verse seven here, which says have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. So let's go to the next um, slide here. Now, when scripture right here says to avoid myth in 1 Timothy 4, 7, really what we're, it's saying to you is that it's really pointing back to the previous paragraph um, where it says that some will depart from the faith because myth is really anything that is not true. It's really anything that is not of scripture. It's really anything that is not something that God deems as true. And so what is really myth in 1 Timothy 4, verse, the first five verses of the chapter, if you just jump back a paragraph, it's all kind of set up by Paul saying that some will depart from the faith, which implies the faith is a well-defined faith based on the truth, okay? So any teaching outside of the truth is essentially myth. And you can see, you know, different parts of Timothy that th there are people that are teaching outside of this well-defined faith, this truth. In, in chapter one, verse three, um, Timothy already goes, or Paul already tells Timothy, charge leaders not to teach a different doctrine, which is implies from the truth. Chapter one, verse 18, um, Paul tells Timothy, wage the good warfare for what? for the truth, for the faith. Chapter three, verse 15, behave rightly 
in the church, which is also called a pillar and buttress of what? The truth, right? And in chapter four, verse seven, we finally get to ourselves, but avoid myth. And then the next verse, it goes on, says, rather train yourself for godliness, which is based on the truth. And so the first thing you want to see here is that Paul does not want the myth to be contaminating the church. And he certainly doesn't want myth to be contaminating um, and making impure, right? A good servant like Timothy. And so avoiding myth, discerning truth from non-truths, such an important part of growing in godliness because, you know, one of the reasons Paul is telling this to Timothy is because I think during that time, a lot of people were talking about myth, talking about silly things that aren't true and bringing it into the church. And if Timothy got wind of that and, um, and sort of started to make a habit of conversing and dialoguing, uh, even just for lighthearted fun, none of that will add to godliness. None of that will add to godliness. So avoid it, avoid it. Be very deliberate. Um, in some translations, it says worldly talk, right? In some translations, it says old wives, old wives' tales, stories that don't don't amount to any amount of godliness, right? Um, and so we are told right here, the first in, in verse seven, to avoid myth or avoid things outside the faith, or you can also say avoid things outside the truth. Okay, um, a very important part of of this section. And so we're going to continue on here to the next part, which is um, verses eight through the first part of 10, verse 10. Now it's gonna be focusing on applying scripture, applying scripture. Now, if you go to verse eight, um, he goes, rather train yourself for godliness, okay? And the word training is literally in the Greek to exercise. It, it's, it's literally the word to go do uh, physical exercise, okay? It implies working hard for the purpose to improve oneself, but he's not using it for physical purposes. He's using it for spiritual purposes, which is why Paul adds verse eight, which says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, right? As it holds um, value in both this life and the next life. So here's a cool part here. Um, you know, this, the worldly way to think about exercise um, has exploded, right? Um, the Peloton is very popular during the, uh, and I'm not trying to make you guys feel bad if you bought a Peloton, but, you know, it's, you know, but it's very popular because exercise is one of the biggest heavily promoted things from the world. It, and it, because the value of it is so easily seen. It doesn't require as much faith as as ones as a Christian. You know, our reward is going to come after you die. But physical exercise, the benefit is so easily uh, compelling, and it's easy to convince someone that if you just exercise, you'll become healthier, you'll become stronger. You might lose some weight. You might do it feel better. You know, feel better by yourself because you'll feel stronger. That's not stuff. That's it doesn't require a lot of faith to believe in that stuff. So the physical training in this life is very popular and it's very easy. You can see that everywhere. But godliness, okay, and what Paul's saying here has value both in this life and the next life. How how does godliness have value in this life? I think, and and I don't want to sound like a broken record because I know you're hearing this name all over the place. But but when we when we see Ravi Zacharias's life, there you go, right there. Plain and simple, the value of godliness is that not happening to you, right? Where, where your reputation is taken away from you, your ministry can fall, and there's shame put on your family and your ministry. That is, that is no value of that happening here in your earthly life. Even though um, we're hoping for an eternal life in heaven, there's a lot of bad and shameful things that can happen on earth that really does nothing but damage yourself and your soul. So godliness has a value in this life, but, but Paul also adds this, it has value in your next life, all right? And, you know, 
one of the things that Paul is not ever shy to talk about is rewards in heaven. And we won't go over that all today, but there are going to be rewards in heaven. It is going to be based on what the Holy Spirit did in your life, which means the work that you actually did in faith, right? Remember, we are saved for good works, not because of our good works, right? Um, that's in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. So we understand that we're not saved by our works, but we understand that once you're saved, that the good works is an evidence of our faith. And Paul, you know, in chapter 3, verse 12 to 21, he says things like this, but I strive to lay hold of that thing, right? That righteousness, that the glory of Christ. He has no, there's nothing in his conscious, conscious, consciousness when he says this that, um, you know, that hurts his conscience to say, I put a lot of effort into this. And he's the same guy who says that you can only be saved by faith. So obviously he's delineating between being actually saved, but then once you're saved, you know, you should be, you should have a hundred percent of your effort now being put into training and godliness. All right. And so you got the five crowns of glory that even Paul mentions the, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, the crown of incorruptible crown, the incorruptible crown. Okay. And he's basically saying that this crown is like the one they gave you at the, after you finished a physical race in this life. But there's going to be one that's similar that's going to be given to Christians once you finish the race of, of this earthly life. That Christ will be the one that gives you a crown for finishing this race and if you're faithful. And so verse Paul is so excited about this, okay, that he adds this verse 9 statement that the saying is trustworthy, which is sort of like, well, of course, Paul is trustworthy. You're, you're writing scripture. Everything you're writing is trustworthy. But Paul is saying that as an emphasis, that this is so trustworthy, you can take it to the bank. You could depend your whole life on this principle, meaning that you can build your whole life strategy on giving your whole life dedicated to godliness and training, and you won't regret it. What you will regret is not putting enough effort. You will regret not using your time to the maximum for, for godliness. You will regret all that, but you won't regret if you do what Paul says, strive and toil. And so verse 10a in, in 1 Timothy 4, he actually says this, for to the, this end, we actually toil and strive. Now, the, those two words actually mean slightly different things, although they're similar. Toil actually means to work extremely hard. But strive, it means to make great efforts to achieve something specific. So if you wanted to make the basketball team, right, you don't go start playing hockey, right? You don't start going into the ice rink and start learning ice skating. That, that, that's ridiculous. You're not going to get on the basketball team unless you actually practice basketball. If you want to um, learn to play the guitar, you don't start learning to play the drums, right? It doesn't make any sense. The Christian life, you won't actually be better or improve upon your life in righteousness and holiness and godliness unless you actually practice your Christian faith. But a lot of people won't do that. A lot of people are giving themselves all these types of excuses that, you know, well, you know, I put my faith in God. I know I'm saved now. I don't have to stress out about this stuff. As if stressing about your faith or stressing about matters of church or ministry is a sin. But, and, and I'll just say, you know, if that's the case, then Paul was in sin most of his Christian life. Because he was so burdened by the churches that he was filled with such anxiousness, anxiousness that all he did most of the time was pray for them. I mean, he was burdened left and right. And, and so Paul... Paul is given to us as a godly example, primarily because Paul lived both of these concepts perfectly in his life of God doing the righteous work in his life, but at the same time, him working it out. And Paul is never shy to say that he's striving and he's toiling, that he's working really hard. And at the same time, he's also 
really putting a lot of his human effort from his own perception, even though he knows it's the grace of God driving that, okay? But in his mind, and in the way he's experiencing it, he's putting in a lot of effort. And so what is godliness? Godliness, okay, and I know David Good talked about godliness being driven by the Holy Spirit and righteousness in life, and I appreciated that. And, and I just want to also say on top of that, godliness is a result of an ob- obedient life to God's word. It's not just knowing God more. It's not just pointing your heart to God more. The point of training in godliness is an ob- obedient life to God. That's the training. That's the standard. That's the hardest part about Christian faith is to actually obey the words of Christ. James 1.22, be doers of the word, not only hearers, right? Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, it says, practice these things, Paul says to the Philippian church, and the God of peace will be with you. 2 Peter 1.10, he says, if you practice, that's a conditional statement, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. James chapter 2, verse 17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You guys know that one. And in first chapter two, verse four, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. The emphasis has always been obedience. That's the training. You don't just read the Bible just so you read the Bible. You don't just read the Bible just so you can say, I know something better. You read the Bible So you've read something, and you can understand it, and then you can apply it in your lives. If your goal is not to apply it in your life, then really what happens is the warning of the parable of the sower, which is found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to assume that most of you at least are familiar with this parable. We don't have time to, to read through the parable, but really the parable is a very simple parable. And you guys can turn there if you like right now as I, as I explain it and summarize it. But there's really four types of soils, right? You've got the hard ground. You've got the rootless soil. You got the weedy soil and then you got the good soil. The hard ground hears the word of God and it bounces off their heart because the heart is so hard. It's really a picture of someone who rejects the word of God, right? That's a hardened heart. The rootless soil is the one that sprouts up a little quickly But the moment there's testing and trial in their life, they fall away and it gets scorched by the sun. And so basically this person has been exposed to scripture, but they never understood it or applied it. And then you got the weedy soil. This person has fruit in their lives that's getting choked out by the world. This person, you know, exposed themselves to scripture. This person understands scripture, but never seems to have the time or the ability to apply scripture. That's the weedy soil. The world is choking all that the, your, your motivation out to actually obey the word of God. That's the weedy soil. But what's the good soil? The good soil is this. The good soil is someone who exposes themselves to scripture, understands scripture, and applies scripture. And that's where the fruit comes from. The fruit from the good soil is the person who's actually doing the good works because the good works is being driven by scripture and the Holy Spirit. So the goal here, the the lesson here, exposing yourself to scripture is not good enough. Understanding even scripture is not good enough because the goal is to obey. That's the training. You know, if you don't obey, there's no point of discipleship group. Discipleship groups is supposed to hold each other accountable for what? Obedience, right? If the point of church, if the whole point of the Christian life was not about obedience, there's no point in church discipline. There's no point. We should all be content with just the fact that we know things about scripture, but we're not. Because why? It's about obedience, right? It is about obedience. First Thessalonians chapter four, right? verse uh, basically says that for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, what? Abstain from sexual immorality. There's your training. 
Knowing that verse doesn't do anything for you. Exposing yourself to that verse does nothing for you. It's only when you obey that verse. Removing sexual morality out of your life, that's the blessing. That's the training. That's the hard work. Because righteousness for us in a sinful body ends up being hard work. It is hard for us. It certainly may not, it was probably not nearly as hard for Jesus Christ, right? Being perfect, even though he felt the temptations and things like that. But for us, it is hard. It is hard because we're, we're weak in faith. We're weak in our body and we are always going to struggle. Now, the last part is anticipating Christ's return. And this is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10b in this last part, okay? Because Paul ends up like that, ends up saying, even he goes, for to this end, we toil and strive. He says, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Okay, so we have our hope set, meaning hope. What is Titus chapter 2, verse 13, he, you know, which is like a sort of a, um, a, a, a related passage because it was written about the same time as 1 Timothy. Waiting for our blessed hope, Paul says to Titus, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is our blessed hope, that Christ is going to come back. He's going to return. Okay? And in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Paul, write, Paul wrote to the Romans, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in what? Even more hope. That you put your hope in the God of hope, you're only going to end up with what? More hope. All right? That's, that's a wonderful, encouraging thing. So we, put our, we have put our faith in the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We place our hope there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we place our hope in something that has not happened yet. We are placing our hope in an event that has not happened yet. And you're, you're living out, you're training, you're working out with fear and trembling, your salvation with the hope that Christ is going to return. And in Romans 8, 24, 25, it says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And the harder you're trained in godliness, you are actually exercising patience at the same time for something you have not seen to come up here. Now, with that said, okay, our hope is in Christ. We train because of Christ. We train in Christ. We train for Christ. And we train through Christ, right? Because he is our source of our sanctification, our righteousness, and our godliness. And we know that that's all going to be driven by his words, which is scripture. Um, now, I want to end perhaps... Uh, there's two sides to Christ's return. For those who are saved, we have all the reason to be joyful and hopeful. But for those who are not, you should be fearful of Christ's return. Now, Christ's return is a single event for all people, unbelievers and believers, even Christians who are faithful in godliness and then Christians who are not faithful in godliness. And I just want to leave you guys with this sobering reminder that for people who, you know, think that Christ's return is this foregone conclusion of just rainbows and sunshine, and it's all just going to be filled with butterflies and just beautiful things, um, you know, you've never read the book of Revelation. This, you know, Christ's return is where things get really real. Right? It's easy for me to preach to you guys to worship the Lord on Sundays you know, and, and sing and serve the Lord with all your heart. But this is, where, this is where that command becomes real, right? When Christ returns. When Christ returns, he will expose all things. He will expose the quality of your faith. He will expose, if it's, if it's a great and faithful faith, he will expose that. 
But if it was a, if it was a lazy faith, if it was a, um, a faith that lacked um, true belief, if there, was, if there was legalism there, Christ will expose that as well. And so we anticipate and we place our hope in Christ, obviously with the hope of salvation, but I have to give you these warnings that, that there will be self-deceived people, right? About Christ's return. And in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, there will be people who come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast demons out? And Jesus will just turn them away saying, you know, um, you know, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness, meaning you never trained for godliness for me. You never wanted godliness. You never repented, right? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, the parable right after that warning is the parable of the house. Self-deceived people will build their Christian testimony on sand rather than the rock of God's word. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13 is the parable of the 10 virgins, right? Self-deceived people will anticipate Christ's coming without the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is the parable of the 10 virgins. There's 10 virgins waiting for the bridegroom to come, and five of them were allowed to come in because they had oil in their lamps. Five of them were not. The five that were not is a picture of those people who, th who proclaimed to be Christians, yet they did not have the evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, right? And so ultimately, okay, Christ's return is a wonderful hope for people who are living in Christ, but it is a, a terror. It is a scary event for people who are living outside of Christ. And that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We're all going to stand before the Lord. And, and I'm saying this because Paul loves sports. He uses sports as an analogy for righteousness. You know, in Hebrews 12, 1, 2, run the race set before you. You know, he used to say, don't beat, um, don't shadow box in the air like you, uh, like an aimless person. And this whole idea that Paul is using as this bema seat, the bema seat was for the judge of the sport to basically crown and reward those who did well. And I guess what I want to, I want to leave this idea with you, not just to warn you guys. And if you have not truly repented from Christ, if you have not given your life to the, you know, a turning away from sin in your life and trusting 100% in his word and his power and strength, you need to do that today. You know, I was talking, I was sharing the gospel with somebody and basically their response to me in the last few months has always been, I'll do it. I, I'll think about it, or I'll, I'll do it next week, or I'll do it tomorrow, or it's always tomorrow, the next day. And I, I want to say this very urgently to you guys, that today's the day to do this. Today's the day to start. There's no better day to do it than today. And, um, and the, the thought that I just want to leave you that's encouraging is this. All that work, hard work, the toiling and the striving that Paul is talking about, placed in his God's word and letting the Holy Spirit work in your life, that working that your salvation out with fear and trembling and doing the good works and following the commandments of Christ, which is hard work to do. You don't think Christ is going to remember that? Don't fall into the deception that God will forget you. God's going to forget somehow. You're going to fall through the cracks. You're going to give 100% and somehow you're going to suffer for him and no one's going to know about it. He will know about it. Um, yeah, the suffering comes with the territory, but it doesn't come without any rewards in heaven. And, and the point is this. We have an eternal perspective in our Christian walk. We train with an eternal perspective in our Christian walk. And the hard work you put in your training in godliness will be remembered by Christ. And it will be worth it. And as one of your shepherds in this church, and for Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose, I can just say this, that this is a, a, a statement that is trustworthy, right? That you can take it to the bank. And the only thing you're going to see a lot of people at 
the end of the age in front of Christ regretting. Why didn't I give more? Why, why did I not heed Christ's warning and take it more seriously? That's the danger that Christ is trying to warn us from. And what I want to tell you guys and leave this thought with you is that I know some of you have heard this message before. The message about training for godliness. I know you guys have heard this message before that you got to work out your your um, salvation with fear and trembling. I know you guys have heard this before and you and then you just went home and treated it like every other sermon. I don't want you to do that. I, I, am, I am urgently, earnestly, almost begging you guys not to do that with this message. That today is the day to start training for godliness if you have not been doing so. And if you've been training for godliness to even put more effort in doing so. And don't be afraid. If you're saved in Christ, your efforts does not dishonor God. Your efforts bring God glory if you're doing it in faith. Okay? It's not, it's not legalistic to put effort in your salvation. That's not legalism. Legalism is actually trying to attain salvation through works. Legalism is creating your own man-made ideas and rules and elevating that above God's. That's legalism. We're not talking about doing that. We're talking about taking the actual words of Scripture and elevating the actual words of God more than any other words or man-made rules and tradition. Okay? That's true godliness. And so with that said, um, you know, I just want to encourage you guys to, yeah, do an evaluation and inventory of your life of where scripture is playing a role in your life and do an inventory of your life on whether, you know, have you been content with just knowing things about the Bible or have you really been studying it so you can apply it in your lives? Big difference, big difference. And, you know, that's what the judgment seat of Christ will be about. Who actually did the word, not just knew about it. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, with these words, uh, you know, that uh, is so clear in scripture, um, you know, I just pray that the Holy Spirit can, um, can really bring to life some spiritually, those who are, could be spiritually dead, um, for some who are fearful of really um, taking that next step in their faith, uh, I pray, Lord, Father, that the Holy Spirit can, can help them change their heart. Um, I also pray for those here that could be realizing potentially that maybe they aren't saved. Maybe they haven't really experienced that transformation of their heart that comes from a true repentant spirit. Maybe they've been trusting in their own ideas, their own, own efforts and own works, um, and not in the work of Christ. And for that, Lord, I pray that you could have mercy on them and, and open their eyes to the glory of the gospel, that we can only be saved by the work of the cross and through the choosing of the Father in heaven. And so I pray, Lord, that you can have mercy on all of us. Let this message uh, hopefully shake some out of complacency. Um, let, it be, let it be felt with urgency. Um, and let us take every day, like potentially it could be our last day. And let us really not give ourselves excuses um, not to give Christ everything that he's worthy of, which is, which is all of our heart, mind, and soul in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, Peter, for shepherding our hearts. Uh, I was uh, personally encouraged with this teaching. Uh, thank you. Uh, praise God for this. So now we are moving to the announcements. Uh, if you are new to our Bible study or new to our church, uh, we would like to. I would like to personally welcome you. Uh, we're happy that you are here with us. And if you have any questions about Logos or our, about our church, um, please feel free to reach out to Teddy or Naomi Yu. Um, I'll just put their uh, email address in the chat panel. 
just give me one second here. And then um, you know, we meet every, if you are new, we meet every Sunday uh, at, um, uh, at the SDA church in Sunnyvale and you are welcome to join us. Uh, we also have our indoor and outdoor gatherings uh, available. Uh, we, you can also RSVP if for those uh, who attend to our church. Um, I'm just going to post our RSVP form here. All right. Give me one second here. All right. Um, so for Logos next week, we, we are on a break. So there won't be any uh, prayer time or teaching. So next week is a good time. Um, if you can reach out to your discipleship group leader, if you need one-on-one -on -one or prayer, uh, next week uh, is a good time as well. And for those, uh, for the discipleship group leaders, uh, you also have a shepherding meeting with the elders as well. Um, for this Sunday, we have um, Cornerstone uh, after uh, Sunday service, which is at four o'clock. Uh, we launched this ministry two weeks ago uh, during the Super Bowl. Uh, for this Sunday, we will uh, kick off the new track for the marriage and family. And um, this track is open to all who are interested in the, um, or who are interested in learning about gospel-centered marriage and gospel-driven family. And this track, uh, if you are thinking of getting married, or if you are going to get married, actually, if you are going to get married, this is required for you. So um, please register and please reach out to Cindy Chu. Um, I'm going to put her email address here uh, in the chat. So uh, this is for Cornerstone again this Sunday at 4 o'clock. Uh, please reach out to Cindy Chu if, um, if you're planning to attend. And we will share the Zoom link uh, in the Facebook members page uh, or through your uh, discipleship group leaders. So uh, wait for that. Um, so I think that's it with the announcements. Um, yeah, so before we uh, close, uh, let me just uh, pray for us, right? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are so thankful for your word that your word is uh, perfect and it refreshes our soul. And we thank you for tonight, how indeed it refreshed our soul. We thank you, Lord, for opening our ears and uh, our hearts to the beauty and the wonders of the truth of your word. Uh, Lord, we, we pray for those who were convicted of their sins, to those who have not repented yet, as Peter exhorted a while ago, we pray for them. May you help them to repent, to turn away from their sins and to, to turn to Christ, Lord. And we thank you, Father, that we can put our hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you so much for uh, the wonderful and glorious gospel that you have given to us. And Father, we pray that may we be faithful hearers of your word and also doers of your word. Uh, and we pray that may we trust in your steadfast love and your abounding grace that you have lavishly bestowed upon us. Uh, we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.